Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast. Before Doug gets going, I wanted to point your attention to the usual, Man Rampant, exclusively at Amazon Prime. Additionally, it is November, which means it's no quarter November over at DougWills.com in conjunction with Canon Press. And today is the very second post of No Quarter November. And the free book that Pastor Wilson and Canon Press are giving away is Pomosexuality. You can find that at canonpress.com. You can get 50% off of the paperback or download it for free from canonpress.com. Cheers. Welcome to Podcast Episode 117. Podcast Episode 117. So, I just saw earlier today that the LA uh, Los Angeles City Council is poised to ban all plastic straws. So, plastic straws cannot be offered to customers in restaurants unless the customer specifically requests it. Now, there seems to be uh, in this, a, like a, a like a grotesque um, lack of proportion. So L.A. and a number of California cities, because of their climate, are dealing with a rampant epidemic of homelessness. Uh, people with drug problems or mental problems or both who um, don't have places. They're homeless. They don't have places to stay. And because of that, they don't have any uh, uh, bathrooms to use, and so they use the sidewalk. Um, these cities are dealing with um, a number of dysfunctional things that are making their cities uninhabitable. And they say, well, let's ban plastic straws, which is... Uh, Straining out the it's it's a great example of uh, straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel. Not not uh, focusing on minor trivial things, obsessing about minor trivial things. Plastic straws. I mean, really, uh, when you have these homeless camps, uh, uh, sidewalk covered with human feces, and and you and you can't. Uh, do anything with it. You can't do anything about it, and you give out hypoderm. You, you give out uh, hypodermic needles to the junkies so they can shoot up in a safe way and have designated places for them to do that. And and I'm wondering, are the syringes you're handing out are they made out of plastic? Huh. I wonder. So uh, this is an example of people uh, losing their minds. Um, and they they just have no grasp of what a uh, ruler of a city or what a council over a city, what the elders of the city ought to be doing. What is what is your job? What is your task? It's it's not to prevent oblique and very very distant hypothetical 
problems happening to a sea turtle because of a plastic straw. That, that's not what your task is. Your task is to make the city where your people live habitable. It should be a place, a, a place that's clean and safe. Uh, the job of the magistrate is to make it possible for someone to walk across town at 2 in the morning and not have to worry about it. I'm not saying that they should walk across town at 2 in the morning, but that's the, that should be the thing that the magistrate has before him. My job is to keep this city safe and clean. It's not to um, ban all the things, you know. And th this is where soft progressive socialism is headed. It's going to have two fundamental planks in their platform. Number one will be free chocolate milk for everybody, and number two will be ban all the things. Ban, ban everything, uh, except for the chocolate milk, because that's going to be free. But then you're going to have to ban the plastic bottles that the chocolate milk comes in. You're going to have to do something. And they're not going to be happy until we're all living back in, in uh, grass huts again. So this, this is a, a good example of... Um, this is a good example of what it means to refuse to honor God as God, and therefore their foolish hearts are darkened. Once your foolish heart is darkened, you descend into uh, a genuine, uh, genuine blackness. So you, you, you can't tell the difference between a true th threat to your city and a false threat to your city, which makes sense because you can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl anymore. You can't tell the difference between a man and a woman anymore. You are uh, detached from your God, separated from your God, which means that at a fundamental level, you are separated from the world God made. Always will be God. Podcast episode 117. The word argos refers to idleness or laziness. Idleness or laziness. Now, this idleness um, might, not, might not necessarily be a sin. Uh, the men in Matthew 20, verse 3 and verse 6, seem to have had a reasonable excuse. No one had hired them, so perhaps we should give them a pass. Uh, the master says, why are you standing around idly? And they said, well, no, one, no one's hired us. We were, were, we've been employable all day. Nobody employed us. Uh, and then when he hired them, they went to work in the vineyard. So maybe Maybe they weren't being lazy. Maybe they were, but we don't know. The, the word idle simply refers to the fact, that, the fact that they were physically idle. But the rest of the time this word is used in Scripture, it always refers to an idleness that is a moral problem. Jesus even applies it to the problem of idle speech. Right? Remember, the word is argos. In Matthew 12, 36, But I say unto you that every idle word, there it is, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So every idle word, every lazy word, every thoughtless word is going to be brought under judgment. The Apostle Paul applies it to a standard issue uh, laziness. He tells Timothy that younger widows must not be enrolled on the list of widows for the church because it would provide occasion for this temptation. The word is used twice here in this verse. It's in 1 Timothy 5.13. And withal, he's talking about the younger widows. And withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, 
speaking things which they ought not. So idleness creates a vacuum, and it's not long before that vacuum fills up with other things. The result is tattling and interfering and being a bossy pants and talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. In Titus, the word is used as a description of the Cretans, who were, among other things, slow bellies. The word rendered slow here is argos, our word, slow bellies. Now, slow belly really is a term we ought to be working hard to bring back, not only because we have a problem with the sin in our era and we need a term to describe it, but also for the sake of enriching our language. Uh, this is Titus 1.12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Okay, there's our word. Here's one other time the word is used in the New Testament, and this is by the Apostle Peter. He says, and this is an interesting use, this is in 2 Peter 1.8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren, argos, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, if you know these things, you won't be barren. Um, so, this is not a providential barrenness as it was when Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren. Sometimes when a woman is barren, it's the result of just, it's just the finger of God. It's the determination of God. And there's no uh, lack of desire or willingness or industry. On the, this, is, this is barrenness that is that way for a reason. Um, this barrenness that Peter's talking about, I mean, this barrenness is, is that way for a reason, and that reason is something culpable on our end. It is barrenness where there ought to be fruitfulness. So if you have a garden that's not productive, uh, it's barren. It's barren of fruit. It's barren of a harvest. Uh, and it's because you never weeded it or you never watered it. That's barrenness for a reason. That's shy of the secret uh, uh, providence of God. God, God never so I've said a number of times uh, over the years that I owe a great deal in my reading to um, the early Rush Dooney. I make a point of saying that some of some of Rush, some of Rush's later work, I think, uh, got a little less uh, uh, pungent, a little less. Um, thought-provoking, and maybe perhaps a tad more crotchety. Uh, but the, the early Rush Dooney was uh, incisive, uh, brilliant, on point, and even if you differed with him, it was always uh, uh, a fruitful read. I, I uh, did a bunch of um, my Rush Dooney reading back in the, back in the 80s, uh, and uh, there were... Um, a number of books that I point to, and I, I want to point to one of them here. The book I want to point to here is The Foundations of Social Order. The Foundations of Social Order. And what uh, Rush Dooney does in that book is he shows um, how uh, certain uh, church councils, when they, when they went a certain way, when they, when they settled the deity of Christ at the Council of Nicaea, or when they hammered out the um, the, the uh, orthodox view of the relationship of the human and the divine in the one person, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what Rush Dooney shows is that those decisions, those uh, creedal commitments that were made at, at those councils were 
foundation stones for the civilization that developed after that. And had those decisions not been made the way they were, the, the civilization would not have, the, the, the civilization that resulted would not have uh, been what it, what it became. In, in other words, we are greatly indebted to the fathers at Chalcedon. And what he's doing, what Rashtuni is pointing to, is the impact of these creeds and confessions on, on social order. So it's um, commonplace for Americans to point back to the Constitution or to the uh, Declaration of Independence. And if someone is really prepared to go deep, they would point back beyond the Declaration of Independence to something like the Magna Carta uh, as a as sort of a foundation stone of English liberties and the, liberty, the, the rights of Englishmen, which were those rights being what the Americans were seeking to defend in the American War for Independence. But so we can go back to these milestones and say, yeah, the Constitution and the Declaration and, and the Magna Carta. But almost no one, well, no one except for Rush Dooney, would keep going back and say, yes, and then back to Chalcedon, and yes, back to Nicaea. Um, if, and let me just give you one uh, sample uh, thought in this regard. Human leaders, uh, dictators, autocrats, kings, potentates, want to be the mediator between the eternal and the temporal. Uh, they want to be uh, God. They want to be the incarnate God. They want to be the touch point. They want to be the idol of the transcendent. And, uh, and so consequently, in paganism, that's the way it always goes. So um, Rome started out as a republic, but it ended in Caesar worship. And this is not something that only happens back when horses are drawing carts around and, and men are going everywhere by, by, uh, in boats that sail. Uh, my, uh, my father's generation fought in the Second World War, uh, and one of, the, uh, one of the conditions of the surrender of Japan Afterwards, MacArthur, MacArthur insisted that uh, the emperor confess that he was not descended from the sun, S-U-N. He was not descended from the sun. He was not divine. Right? That, that, that was a war just concluded within living memory. Paganism naturally gravitates to this supposition that, that the, uh, the king or the president or the ruler or the grand poobah he is uh, uh, the power of the eternal on earth. But from Nicaea on, Christians have been able to say, sorry, that job's taken. Sorry, you can't be the one on earth who represents God to man, because we have that position filled. Jesus Christ is the God-man. And He's a true man, and, and he's fully God and fully man, and that's the import of Chalcedon. Um, we, don't need, uh, we, we don't need this impressive pagan uh, political structure to overawe the masses and, to make, and give them a sense of meaning and purpose in the world. It, because um, 
Because Jesus is God, Nicaea, and because he's a true man and true God, small republics are possible. So, foundations of social order, highly recommended.